How would you react to someone who said things like this? There are no rules, none at all. Or the only guiding principle is love. Or the only intrinsic evil is the lack of love. Adultery, lying, and murder are not are not always wrong. In some situations, they might be the loving thing to do. Are those scary comments when you hear them? I hope they are. Those are attributed, by the way, to a man named Joseph Fletcher, who, who was the one who most maybe aggressively or popularly made known the concept of situation ethics. You may have heard that name, Joseph Fletcher. Certainly you've heard those concepts that I just don't think that you can say anything is absolutely right or wrong. The idea of absolute truth is being challenged by many people. We think that they are clearly wrong uh, when they say there is no absolute truth. Uh, those who are overtly outspoken about it uh, are certainly wrong, but lots of people who simply will not accept the nature of truth in its absolute sense are also wrong. We want to talk about that this morning. Our lesson this morning, we're going to entitle The Truth About The Truth. We want to talk about God's truth as revealed to mankind, and we want to make some observations about it. We need to have great confidence in the truth that God has revealed to mankind, and we want to learn its characteristics and what our response to it ought to be. That'll be our lesson this morning. Thank you for being here. We're so grateful for the presence of each and every one. Glad that you have made it a point to join together with others on the Lord's Day to worship God, to study from His Word, to offer praise to Him, and all things to glorify Him. That's what we're here for this morning, and we certainly hope that that is accomplished. We also hope that all of us will be built up or encouraged in the things of God, uh, and that's a priority too. If you have questions as we join together to worship and study, if it brings any question to mind, or if you already had some questions in mind, We'd be glad to entertain those questions and study with you about anything in the Bible. You just let us know how we can be of service to you. We have visitors this morning. We're grateful for that. We're glad you came, and we hope you come back every time you have a chance to be here. Let's talk about God's truth, about the truth that comes to man from God. There's several things that we should observe about the truth. First of all, we should point out that the truth is attainable. That is, it is uh possible for us to have it, to hold it, to know it. It is attainable. Every once in a while, we hear in the news about these uh, lottery jackpots when they get up way up into the millions and even hundreds of millions of dollars in these uh, lotteries. Uh, and so, let's say that the lottery is up to $300 million. Is there a winning ticket out there somewhere? Well, we're told that there is, and of course, uh, eventually someone will be declared the winner of this huge lottery jackpot. And so, there is a winning ticket out there somewhere, but what are the chances that you might attain that winning ticket? Well, they tell us the, the possibilities of winning the lottery like that are, uh, well, there's a higher probability that you'll be struck by lightning today than that you would win the lottery. The, 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 the possibility, although it is out there somewhere, the possibility of you holding that winning ticket are almost zero. Effectively, they are zero. Uh, and so, it's not very attainable. Winning the, winning the lottery, having that ticket in hand is not very attainable. 
But that's not like the truth of God. The truth of God is, is available, and you can have it. You can hold it. In John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus very famously said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said you can know it. It's available to you. You don't have to be in some exclusive club. You don't have to have some incredible luck uh, of the draw. You don't have to be in a, a unique situation. The truth is available to you. You can have it. Well, that's a good thing to know. Furthermore, we could say that the truth is identifiable. Um, one of our problems in the religious world today is that there's just this incredible maze of doctrines and dogmas that are out there in the religious world. And people are teaching all kinds of different and even contradictory things. One says this and another says something else. And the conclusion that some people come to is that there's no way to really know the truth. There's no way that we can even identify what is right. And we would say that they're wrong. The truth is identifiable. In John 17, 17, Jesus, praying to God, said, Sanctify them, talking about his disciples, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Truth is identifiable. It's, it's the word. It's the revealed message that God has given to mankind. Truth is identifiable. And not only is it identifiable, our, our points are you can have it, you can identify it, but also we've got to stress you can understand it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, get the gist of this. This is a command, right? You are to understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, would he give us that command? Would we be required to do that if it wasn't possible to do it? Well, of course, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be in God's nature to command the impossible. And so the very fact that we are commanded to understand the will of the Lord means that it is understandable. Uh, people have this common view that the Bible is just so confusing. I just don't understand the Bible. And they sort of throw their hands up and quit trying. And that is a real mistake because the Bible is understandable. And let us also point out that the truth is consistent. Wouldn't we be in a terrible situation if this truth that we're trying to live by was constantly in flux? It was always changing. It was different from generation to generation. I remember the story about a guy uh, who, in his later years, uh, went back to the school where he had attended. And lo and behold, the, the, the professor that he had was still there, an old man at this point. But he was still teaching the same class. And it so happened that when the guy showed up, the, the students were taking an exam. And so he got a copy of that exam and he looked at it. And it, it was exactly the same exam that he had had. 40 years before. And so, after the class was over, he went up to the professor and he said, I'm really surprised. He said, you're using the same exam that you used when I was in school. And the professor says, oh yes, he says. It's the same questions, but the answers are all different. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a terrible thing if that was the way it was religiously? That the answers are always changing. And, you know, you may believe this now, but who knows, you know, 50 years from now, we may come to a different answer. No. That's not the way the truth of God works. The truth of God is consistent. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says, God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, and so on the text goes. But it, just stressing the consistent nature of God's revelation and His truth to mankind. So, first thing, just some basic characteristics of truth. You can have it, 
You can identify it and understand it, and it, it's always the same. It's consistent, and it's unchanging. Now, along the lines of the truth not changing, we want to we want to stress some particulars about that. Uh, the truth is not changed, for instance, by men's decrees. You're familiar with uh, religious councils and synods and conventions. Uh, they meet, they conduct business, and they actually vote on rules changes. Uh, and, and so they have come along. You've heard of religious groups who've come along, and they have decided now that it's okay to have women preachers. We took a vote. We changed that. You can have women preachers now, they say. Or more pertinently, in the news, we hear about these religious organizations that are taking votes about homosexuality. We now have decided, they say, homosexuality is not a sin. And it's okay to live a homosexual lifestyle. In fact, many of these religious groups have even decided that their clergy members, if you want to use that terminology, their ministers, their preachers, and so forth, can even be openly homosexual and live in that lifestyle because they took a vote in their church councils, in their convention, and they decided that it was okay. Well, of course, all of that that we just described is is in contradiction to the very nature of truth that we were just talking about. Men cannot change by their decree what God's truth is. In the text that Timothy read for us earlier in Galatians chapter 1, Paul told us to be on guard against people who would try to do something like that. In Galatians 1, beginning verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now, men don't live by that rule very much. But that's what the Lord says we should do. Reject those who would try to change God's truth. If they come along teaching something else, they need to be rejected. So the truth is not changed just because men decided to take a vote about it. Neither is the truth changed by our personal feelings about a thing. When you've been in situations where you were discussing religious matters with people, I know that you've had the occasion, I have too, hear people say, well, I just don't feel that, that, and then they go on to... In other words, you've tried to show them from the Bible what God's truth is, but th- their response is not to say, well, you're wrong about that, or let me show you a different verse. Uh, their response to it is, I just don't feel that that's the way it is, or I don't, I don't feel that God would require that. Something along those lines. Well, they're making their argument based upon feelings. Can we just be particularly blunt here? When it comes to these matters of God's truth, your feelings don't matter. What you feel or I feel, uh, our our emotional reaction to the the truths revealed by God, that's not essential to establishing what the truth is. Feelings don't matter in that regard, in establishing truth. You get our point? In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, it says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If we start following what seems right to us, what we feel is right, then this statement warns that that has a disastrous outcome. And so truth is not changed by feelings. Neither is truth changed by sincerity, how sincere a person is. Uh, Almost everybody we talk to these days has come to this conclusion, sadly, that as long as a person is sincere, that's really all that matters. 
But we know from the scriptures that 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 position cannot be sustained. One of the best examples that we often cite is the example of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 23, verse 1, when he had been arrested, when he was being tried for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, he talked about his former life. And in Acts 23, verse 1, Paul earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Notice, Paul had lived in all good conscience before God. Now, I believe that when he made that statement, he was describing not just his time when he was a Christian, but also describing his time when, as a Jew, he was persecuting Christians. His conscience was clear. He was sincere in what he was doing. Maybe in a plainer statement in chapter 26 of Acts, beginning verse 9, Paul said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them off in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Notice how Paul starts this out. I thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. It's what I thought was right. I don't know how anybody could doubt Paul's sincerity. But in his sincerity, what was he doing? He was shutting up Christians in prison. He was giving his vote against them when they were even being put to death. Well, if sincerity is all that matters, then Paul was all right while he was doing that. But, of course, nobody is willing to grant that. And so Paul's case proves that sincerity does not change what the truth is. Now, I wish that we could get this point, these points across because, unfortunately, I would argue that the majority of people in the religious world are under those impressions, that they can vote and change the rules, that their feelings determine what's right, and that sincerity certainly guarantees you are okay. And the Scriptures simply say that is not so. Well, think with me finally about some things that the truth will produce. Uh, Not only can we speak with certainty about the truth, But we can also talk about what we know will happen when the truth is proclaimed, what results will come about, because that really hasn't changed through the centuries. Uh, We'll go all the way back to when the gospel was first preached and all the way till today, we see some of the same results. For instance, some people are offended when the truth is preached. In Matthew chapter 15, beginning verse 12, then some of Jesus' disciples said to him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. You get, you get the idea here. The disciples, I think, expressed some concern. Jesus, now, when you said those things, uh, the Pharisees were offended at what you said. And, and Jesus, what was Jesus' reaction to that? Did he say, oh, well, we've got to back up then. We've got to be more careful. We've got to say it differently. We've got to, we've got to uh, play to their emotions. We've got to be sure that they're not upset. No, he didn't. He said, let them alone. Uh, he understood that the, the preaching of the truth would, in instances, cause offense, and that was unavoidable. And so for us today... We need to accept that reality. Sometimes people will be offended at the preaching of the truth. It has always been so. It was so when Jesus preached it. And if we're preaching his truth, it will be so in our day as well. 
We just have to accept that reality. Certainly, the preaching of the truth will sometimes evoke controversy. Uh, historically, we know we have both biblical information and secular history information that indicates that there have always been those who hated the truth and fought against it, who responded violently when confronted with the truth of God's Word. And so not only sometimes people get offended, sometimes they will react in, in aggressive ways, uh, in, uh, provoking controversy over the truth. Look in Acts chapter 13, verse 44. Paul says, says concerning the work that Paul did on his first missionary journey, the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming, and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and spelled them out of their coast. Uh, you know, there's, there's your controversy and your heated negative reaction to the truth. Again, Paul and Barnabas didn't alter their message because of it. They understood truth will do that. Are we surprised? Are we shocked? Are we willing to compromise because some of the elements of truth that we teach and proclaim are controversial? We ought not to be. Uh, the faithful people of God have never been, and we cannot be either. The truth will produce controversy. We know that the truth sometimes will produce sorrow in men's heart. Now, the kind of people we're talking about here are the people who understand the truth. They're not denying it. They're not trying to argue against it. They just don't want to surrender to it, and they're unwilling to live by it. The best example is one that you're familiar with in Matthew chapter 19, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him what he should do to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, well, keep the commands. He said, I've done all that. And Jesus said one more thing. He said, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away, notice, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, here Jesus could see that this man's problem was his devoted affection to his material wealth. And so Jesus told him, sell what you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. And that was the element of truth. I mean, he'd been keeping. He had already specified that he'd been keeping many of commands that were stated in the Old Testament law of Moses. But when Jesus asked him to do this, he was sorrowful because he was more devoted to his wealth than he was to Jesus. And so that sorrowful reaction that says, no, I'm not willing to pay that price. I'm unwilling to make that commitment. I won't go that far. I don't, I don't want to do that much. That sorrowful reaction to the gospel is one that we might expect today as well. But finally, on a positive note, what will the truth produce? The truth will produce obedience and joy. We've got to stress that God's truth has this capacity. That's the, that's the good thing. That's the positive thing to end with. Certainly men will oppose the truth. They'll try to alter the truth. They'll fight against the truth. It's always been so. But when people will humbly submit in obedience, the word, the truth of God can produce joy. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6, Paul says of the Thessalonians, ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Notice, they received the word, and in them it produced joy. It has that capacity today as well to produce joy in our hearts if we will be willing to submit to it in obedience. What's your situation this morning? Have you made a commitment 
to obey the Lord? We hope that you have, and we hope that you know that joy that Paul just mentioned in the verse which we cited. If you've never become a Christian, though, you're not in that situation, and you don't have that blessing. And so we would encourage you to make a decision to obey the gospel plan of salvation, to become a Christian, to have the forgiveness of your past sins, have the hope of heaven and eternity. If you're not a Christian, that simple gospel plan of salvation is hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. We'd be glad to assist you in that obedience today. We'd be glad to study with you more if you still have questions that need to be answered. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful to your Lord, you need to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.